You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. You know, my mare, her name is Sarah Clay. She is going to be dropping a little baby foal. <gasps> come, come September, it's good. It's a filly. It's the filly. Brandon Jaggers. My man couldn't put the stem on the apple, though. And me, CC Broadus. So, so I'm going to give you a lesson in, in uh, reading past performances. Uh, Brandon, you see that on the four starts for Rotney, right next to the name of the race, there's an S with a square around it. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, said, that S stands for sucks. This is a New York bread facing Kentucky breads. So he don't stand a chance. I'm sorry. Hello, welcome to episode 131 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm CC Broadus coming to you from the International Sanctuary of Cats in Bloomfield, Kentucky. I'm joined by the anti-feline of Alan Schneider. He's with us. I'm not anti-cats. Why do you hate cats so much, man? I'm not anti-feline. I actually saw the funniest TikTok I think I've ever seen about a cat yesterday. Um, I saw it. You, yeah, that they. Yeah. That was hilarious. Um, I actually, you know, I, I got tore up by a cat when I was six years old. I got, I may have mentioned this before. It was an ugly situation. So since then, I've never owned a cat. I don't have anything against them. A lot of my friends have cats. All my family have cats. But my wife's not a big cat person. So it's, it's. This is a dog household. But you know, I, I don't, I don't love cats the way some people do. I have nothing against them. Except for that one that tore me up when I was six years old. I mean, it tore the living hell out of me. There was blood everywhere. But still, I, I live to tell about it. I got three. I'll gift you one. I think one of them's pregnant, too. So you we might have no, like 43 no, by this time. Oh, no, Next. God. No, I no, no, no. I already have enough uh, issues with those Kentucky Wildcats. That well, that's a, <laughs> that's a great segue. Uh, Calipari, you hope he leaves or not? You will never find a bigger Calipari supporter when he first got here. I defended him. I, I believed, you know, I, 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 and, and for rightfully so, right? The, 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 uh, the triumphs, you know, obviously merited such uh, praise, uh, you know, since then, I mean, it has leveled off. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes you have to be man enough in this game to say, maybe you're wrong or maybe the time has, has come due. Uh, I don't know. There's other things about Kentucky athletics that I don't like at the moment either. But, you know, is it probably time that maybe uh, you part ways before the divorce gets too ugly? And you can't, you know, there's, you know, that's a possibility. I don't know what you do right now, but things aren't working. That said, the biggest problem is not anger, it's apathy. And I have grown apathetic of something I never thought I would grow apathetic of. I watch it in a passionless, uh, and I know a lot of people are like that. Some people have claimed that it's not like that right now, but I do watch it with like a pa- passionless distant eye. And that's, that's, cause some of that could just be, you know, I've gotten older, but, uh, it's not good at the moment. And, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way. How about you? I'm a Louisville fan, so I don't care. Uh, you have an <laughs> opinion though. Sometimes it's best to hear from someone who has a bit of a distant eye. I just say, be careful what you wish for. 
Yeah, I'm not saying I wish for it. I don't know what the answer is right now. I, don't, I never like to go too far off one direction or the other. I'm not one of these guys that get on – as soon as I get a thought in my head, I go on Twitter and rant like an idiot, um, like they do in horse racing and sports and yada, yada, yada. There's um, – it, it take a cautious approach. There's a giant buyout. I hope he turns it around, but I don't see it happening this year, no. I think his biggest problem has been continuity with his roster. Well, that's uh, probably – He's been a victim of his own success with the freshman being able to come in and, and fill a role right away and in more than one. And then, you know, like his first team had what four or five freshmen plus Patrick Patterson, who was a junior. Mm-hmm. That team was really good. And uh, but uh, I think more people have uh, followed in his footsteps. And now he's relied on, especially with this roster, he's relying on uh, mid major players. To yeah, fill. And, and, and I don't they, think they, it's pieced together well. I don't think I think it's a bunch yeah. of parts that don't fit quite as well as it should or whatever. It's like there's not a game. The initial game plan doesn't fit, so you just kind of go like square holes and round pegs and so. So you know, there's they shouldn't be this bad. But then again, the game of college basketball has changed. We we cannot. I mean, that's why a lot of us are apathetic. I, it's not this. I don't know the guys on my team year to year base. I don't know the guys on the other teams. So how can I get too attached or have? Like dislike another team because I don't know who's on their team. Like well, know who was on Louisville and Florida and Tennessee and yada yada yada. That's that's a big problem going forward. Is I believe college basketball is imploding without question. But it's, it's just yeah. I mean I think the game is which might be a good thing come March. I think the difference between the best team in basketball today and the, and the 45th best team it's extremely it, marginal. Extremely is marginal. that there's not much difference, which is a good thing if you're into March Madness. But uh, the game is you know I. I I don't. I just. I think there's a lot of parity. I, I suppose. But yeah, it's enough of that. If uh, Cal Perry announced at the end of the season he's leaving, who would get, give me three three names? Brandon Jaggers. Um, yeah, no. I've heard that one. That's a good one. Nate Oates, obviously, to Alabama would be a a great one. Of course, if Jay Wright were to come out of retirement, that's an obvious one as well too. Michelle Lovell. Uh, Michelle Lovell, without question. If she would take to, I mean. She knows a little bit about the Kentucky uh, area. She can recruit Kentucky. She can recruit Louisiana. She can recruit Texas. Seems like a perfect fit. But, uh, you know, could they afford her? Could they afford her? Indeed. Uh, turning our sights to horse racing, there was a derby prep on Sunday. It was the Sham Stakes. Guess uh, which trainer won it. It was at Santa Anita. Guess which trainer won? George Papamabapapapapamamo. No, he won a race on the card, but uh, he did not win the big one. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, he's suspended at Churchill Downs right now. Oh, geez, you have to be more specific. Yes, I know who it is. Yes, obviously. It's Robert Robert uh, Baffert. I don't know what his middle initial is. Who finished second? Which trainer? I believe, I believe the aforementioned trainer that I just a moment ago, the gray-haired guy with the sunglasses, his name who, escapes me as well. Who finished third? Oh, see, I didn't watch the race, so I'm just going to take a wild stab and say Baffert. And it was like 4,000 links back to fourth. Well, I didn't know the answer. I didn't watch the race, but I didn't know the answer. I just know that his longest yeah. shot won, right? You know. That's uh, California racing right now, especially in the three-year-old division. So. That's why I don't watch – as you guys know, I don't watch California racing. I saw a lot of people talk about having that 16-to-1 shot in their multis, and I'm sorry, but I know that – you, that 16 to one doesn't play the way other 16 to ones win because everybody's going to cover all the Bafferts in their multis. You know, they may, they may see one they think is the best or they're going to cover them all. 
So a lot of people are saying how multi-race wagers works. I guarantee you that 16 to 1 did not play the way another 16 to 1 would play that sequence. You had a 16 to 1 Baffert when people were going to buy the race and use all three did not play the way a 16 to 1 by another trainer would have played. So uh, that was what you want, right? 16 to 1? Right. Last thing uh, before we get to our guest, uh, I think we had a, a rider on the Turfway Park scene that uh, uh, made a name for himself, a, a young apprentice named Walter oh, Rodriguez. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. That's, you got to mention Walter Rodriguez. I mean, we love the Turfway race. We talk about it all the time. Big fans of the racetrack. A lot of guys do real well there, but somebody I'm not very familiar with. And do you know where he raced prior to this, CC? I, I don't no idea. But I remember seeing his name. You know, sometimes when you see a new apprentice, when a track first opens, it's meat. You don't realize that the guy, some of those apprentices are just giving a ride here and there. And so you don't know that the, these guys are well met and they're booked by big agents. And apparently Walter Rodriguez is. And he, if, if you have been fortunate to have been betting him of late, you're making serious money, right? And this isn't a fluke. He's coming from off the pace, which a lot of young riders can't do. And winning going away, I mean, it's 25 to 1, 30 to 1 re- repeatedly. I can't say that I've won on him enough, but just keep just keep getting on board that train and you're going you're going to win because he's doing extremely well right now. Yeah, I think he drew uh, some mounts from the Wesley Ward barn for Wednesday night. So oh, did he really? I, yeah, I think uh, yeah. So I've uh, uh, got some decisions to make this week uh, whether or not we're going to bet Wesley Ward. So that uh, <laughs> it's always a tough decision. Right. Uh, I should uh, mention as, as well, but before we get go to our uh, really special guest uh, today, that Turfway, Turfway's got to change that camera angle on the finish line, don't they? They got to change that. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've seen a couple races this meet. The one last week was egregious where I could have swore our friend Farron Peterson's horse won. I mean, I didn't. I never thought for a second she didn't win. I thought she went by like a head and a half on about a 30 to one shot. I didn't have either horse to win, but um Never in my wildest dreams I even think the horse got beat, but then I saw the official sign go up to another horse, and that's not the first time that's happened. So the reason I say it's got to change is because number one, it's just not fair to the people watching the race, but number two, it it, it can it can damage trust. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a bad so, look. It, it's a bad it's look. A, it's a bad look. You're gonna have a lot of pissed off horse players think they're gonna get cheated, and it's just yeah, that's something that needs to be worked on. But there's a lot of tracks like that. I think it's Thistledown has is way off of the finish line. Uh, maybe maybe a few feet before the finish line, so it's maybe Oakland's the same way. I think. Yeah. It's uh, it's not just them, you know. It's that's it's 2023. We need better uh, photo finish technology, anyway. I mean, well, just look, know, look at Hong Kong and Japan. They, I mean, they they're the uh, the the gold standard of of photo finish technology. But yeah, they um in this case, I think the horse is 30 to one, which pissed. I'm sure pissed off the people who had the horse at 30 to one had that horse been four to five, all hell would have broke loose and people would have thought they won when they didn't. So, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's irrelevant what the horse, the odds of the horse are just, and again, it's not like they cheated. I mean, it was the right result, but for those of us watching, it didn't look close. So anyway, right. with that said, let's move on to our special guest. Okay. Tonight we have a very special guest, not a Kentucky bred. And not one who had a family background in thoroughbred horse racing or breeding. Our guest was raised in Grayling, Michigan. That's in northern Michigan off I-75. In 1989, he graduated from Michigan State University with a Bachelor of Administration in Communications. Professionally, 
He started a communications and consulting company in 2007 called Thayer Communications and Consulting. Prior to that, in 2003, he started his service to the Commonwealth of Kentucky as he was elected to the Kentucky Senate in a special election to represent the 17th District, which encompasses Grant, Scott, and Kenton counties. Prior to that, he had stints at racetracks such as uh, Ladbroke DRC in Detroit, Detroit Racecourse, and, and of course locally here at Turfway Park. Later on in 2017, he was selected Senate Majority Floor Leader of Kentucky. As a, mentor, as a member of Senate leadership, he serves on the committee on committees, the Rules Committee, and the Legislative Research Committee. Our esteemed guest has been a friend of Kentucky horse racing for a long time, and he was instrumental in the legalization of historical horse racing machines at Kentucky racetracks to help make our state the most lucrative year-round horse racing circuit on the American calendar. Our guest is Damon Thayer. How are you, Senator? Hey, it's great to be on uh, your your show, guys, and I appreciate that introduction and look forward to talking about all things horse racing with you guys. Well, we're going to touch on everything tonight, Senator, but uh, I, I, I do have one question for you to, to kick things off. Uh, Frankfurt is one of my favorite Kentucky cities. I love the history, and, and it's just a, it's a good town to, to go tour. Uh, I know you're going to spend a lot of time there, I guess, over these next several months. Uh, any hidden gems like restaurants or, or places to visit that, that a lot of us don't know about that you would recommend? Well, the uh, obviously the most well-known place in Frankfurt is the Buffalo Trace Distillery. And if you're if you're a bourbon geek like I am, you know, the tour there is amazing. Uh, but you got because bourbon has become so popular, you got to you got to make uh, reservations well in advance. It's an amazing tour. They've got a couple of different tours. And but of course, every morning they'll roll out some special bottles and you can go wait in line. And once every three months, you might be able to buy a bottle of Blanton's or Eagle Rare, Buffalo Trace. But they'll you got to wear a you got to wear a wristband and they mark down what you bought. Like if you buy a bottle of Blanton's, you can't come back for three more months and get a bottle of Blanton's. So, you know, that's obviously very high profile. Uh, my favorite place to eat uh, is Goodwood Brewing uh, right as you come down the hill on the left, right on the Kentucky River. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a great spot. They've got locations all over the state and they're branching out to Columbus and in, in Indianapolis, but it's Ted Mitzloff, a good Republican supporter of, of, of my caucus from Louisville, uh, entrepreneur, and uh, he took an old historical building and renovated it, and it's a great space, really good food. So good, Goodwood, Goodwood Brewery uh, is, is kind of the little hot spot that I like to recommend people go to, especially for lunch in Frankfurt. Perfect. That's uh, yeah. I'm I'm gonna make my way up to Frankfurt at some point soon because I I love going up there. My I'm from a a, a tiny town here called Bloomfield, and Bloomfield oh, Nelson has, County. Nelson County. I'm close. I'm about ten miles from Bardstown. Yep. And uh, my Bloomfield's lone connection to Frankfurt. Uh, if anybody ever wants to look it up, there is a man buried here named Jeroboam Beecham. He's married with a lady, or excuse me, he's buried in a grave with a lady named Anna Cook and Jeroboam Beecham murdered a rep a, a I believe a person in the House of Representatives named Solomon Sharp 
and Solomon Sharp is buried in the Frankfurt Cemetery about 100 feet from where Daniel Boone is buried. And it's overlooking the Capitol. It's a pretty cool story. If you ever want to dive into it, there's a historical marker here in Bloomfield. It's called the Kentucky Tragedy. So if you get it, look that up when you get a chance. And there's several books been written about it. I would recommend uh, William Gilmore Sims novel uh, about uh, about the whole story. But it's a I forgot the name of it escapes me. But uh, yeah. So, yeah, I love Frankfurt and and look forward to going back soon. So let's get into uh, uh, some politics first. Now, I'm a dummy when it comes to politics, but I do have some questions for you and hopefully you'll shed some light on things for me. But uh, I'll do my best. The General Assembly is underway in Frankfurt. Uh, what uh, what's some key or, or maybe some interesting legislation we can look forward to in the coming weeks? Well, we just started our what we call the odd year session. So in odd numbered years, like 2023, we meet for 30 days. So we met uh, January uh, last week was at third, fourth, fifth and sixth. And we we reorganize ourselves for the year. We elect leadership of the party caucuses, and we select committee chairmen, make committee assignments, file bills. We have to go through mandatory ethics training every year, thanks to the Bob Trot scandal 40 years ago in Kentucky. We're required by law to have a two-hour uh, ethics training as if you know we're not ethical enough. We, we've got some of the toughest ethics laws in America, actually, so that's why you don't hear a lot of scandals out of the Kentucky General Assembly. And then right now, we're on a recess, according to the Constitution. We don't come back until February. We reconvene February 7th, and we meet right on through till March 30th. Uh, Some of the hot issues, um, I'm a Republican. I'm the Senate Majority Floor Leader of the 31-member Republican Caucus in the Senate. And the biggest thing you need to know is we're we're cutting your taxes. Yes. Uh, That's that's the biggest thing. Uh, You're Three, four years ago, we cut your taxes from six to five percent. Just a few days ago, on January 1st, we cut your taxes to four and a half percent. And we're going to pass a bill the first week when we get back in February that will cut your taxes to four percent on January 1 of next year. So that's the big story. Republicans are cutting your taxes. Andy Bashir will probably veto it and then we will override it because we have the votes to do so. And then it will become law once we override his veto. Um, Some other things, and I I know you're going to want to talk about sports betting, and I'm happy to delve into that. Um, My friend uh, uh, Matt Deneen, who's the new state senator from Elizabethtown and Hardin County, has filed a bill uh, to help with the teacher shortage uh, to try to recruit some more teachers into the profession. Uh, He and I were just talking about that. Uh, we're working. There's a we've got a big juvenile justice crisis in a number of our juvenile detention centers around the state. Uh, we had a female inmate get gang raped. Uh, we had uh, employees uh, uh, get uh, beat up uh, by by a, a gang at the at one of these jails. So we're taking a serious look uh, at uh, since the Bashir administration can't seem to figure out how to fix it themselves. We're looking at some solutions. We formed a task force to look at it over the next few weeks and come back with recommendations in February. So those are some of the big issues that we've got out there. Uh, In the 30-day session, its original intent was to tweak or make adjustments to laws that are already passed 
or maybe pass bills that have been around for a couple of years and made their way partway through the process, but not all the way, like sports betting, for example. So that's that's what we're working on right now. We're, we have a part-time citizen legislature, so except for a handful of members who are retired, um, we, we all have other jobs or businesses that we run uh, while we're also you know, serving in the state legislature. Uh, unfortunately, we have a Democrat governor, Andy Bashir. most unfortunate. Um, I'm a very strong Reagan Republican, um, and we have the largest supermajorities of Republicans in the legislature in Kentucky history, 80 out of 100 representatives are Republican in the House, 31 out of 38 are Republican in the Senate. So that's a little primer on, on the situation for you. It's not like Washington, D.C. We had a very calm, very well-planned out week that went uh, according to plan. Um, it wasn't like the circus that we saw up there uh, last week. Okay, so... Robert Stivers is the Senate president, I think, and you are the majority leader. I was just curious. I saw that. What, what's the difference between those two jobs? So the Senate president's job is enshrined in the Constitution. So he select whoever has the majority party has the Senate president. So Republicans select him to be the Senate president. And then he goes before the full chamber of Republicans and Democrats and has to be voted in and take an oath of office and swore, swears that he hasn't fought a duel with deadly weapons, et cetera. Have you? I, I have not. I, I have not fought a duel with deadly weapons, nor have I accepted or given a second to do that. Uh, some people doubt that uh, the, the veracity of that statement, but it is true. I've sworn it six times, so it must be true. Um, I'm the majority leader, so I'm elected by the Republican caucus, and uh, I am a member of our five-person leadership team. We have a Senate president, a president pro tem, a majority leader, a caucus chair, and a caucus whip. Caucus whip counts the votes on bills to make sure that when we take a bill to the floor, we have the votes to pass it. If you're wondering about that kind of odd title. Caucus chairman, she runs our caucus meetings where we meet to discuss bills and our caucus each day. And, and I sort of run the floor. The Senate president, a good analogy would be the Senate president's like the coach and I'm like the quarterback. Uh, I, I, you know, I call the plays down on the field call bills up uh, to be voted on, make motions for bills to be voted on uh, and, 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 you know, represent my party on the floor of the Senate. Um, I, I oftentimes am, uh, along with the Senate president, he and I are both questioned by the media often about uh, Republican uh, priorities and things like that. So, you know, you, you might see me in the news from time to time as well. Okay. Well, I've got a ton of political questions here. I'm going to scrap most of them because you, you touched on something I'm more interested in before we start recording, but I will ask you this about the, the sports gambling bill. I mean, do you think there's a, pa a chance that will pass? I assume it's got to pass the, the Senate and the house. Uh, Correct. Is, is there a chance that, is there a chance that happens this year? Well, I don't want to take any bets on it. Pun intended. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, I don't like to make predictions. Um, I'm a strong supporter of sports betting. I think it is a natural extension of the sports betting we've had in Kentucky for forever. And that's paramutual wagering on horse racing. I think it's a natural part of our uh, history and tradition and heritage. Also, we're a sports crazy state. 
And, you know, I tweeted about my support for sports betting last week. And so far, it has 65,000 impressions, which is one of my top five tweets of all time. Uh, it has a lot of support in Kentucky. People are now going to Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee. I think every we have seven surrounding states, and I think all but Missouri have legalized sports betting. Uh, the House has passed it twice, but I just haven't been able to get it passed in the, in the Senate. And people say, well, you're the majority leader. You should be able to pass that. Well, I mean, that's not how it works. I mean, every senator has a vote, and in order for a bill to pass, we need 20 votes, and we just haven't had the votes to pass it. Um, now, we've got six new members in the Senate, which is a fairly large freshman class, and some of them replaced members who were definite no votes, and I think some of them will probably be yes votes uh, on sports betting. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not it's enough to get us to 20, but I'm hopeful. Um, I talked to the legislator who's going to sponsor the bill just a couple of days ago, and we're working on the details of the bill. And if the House passes it, I will once again take a run at trying to pass it in the Senate. But I don't want to predict success or failure. I think we'll get there eventually. I just don't know if it's going to be going to be this year or not. Okay. Let's get the politics out of the way and get to the fun stuff now. Uh, before we started recording, you, you told a story. I, I didn't realize this. None of us knew this, that you you worked for Detroit Racecourse, uh, what I call Lad, Ladbroke DRC, back in the late 80s. And uh, back when I was a youngster, that's about the time I started getting in getting into horse racing. And we had one of those old C-band satellite dishes that uh, you could get just about anything that was televised. It, 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 but there wasn't a lot of horse racing coverage, but one of the things we could get was Ladbroke DRC, and I would watch horse races at that racetrack, or I'd watch the replay show and, and with no past performances or anything and just watch watch horse races, no gambling or anything. It was just cool to watch. But uh, you worked there, and and one of my favorite racehorses of all time, uh, this is uh, around 1988, I think, a horse named Lost Code who was one of the top three-year-olds. He, he basically came out of nowhere. It's, it's one of the uh, really romantic story from a, from a trainer that was kind of down on his luck and him and his, his wife, I think his wife may have been like a, like a in-house simulcast uh, person at uh, one of the smaller racetracks and the lost code kind of came out of nowhere. And I know he made a trip to, uh, to Detroit to, to run in the Michigan mile. Uh, back back around 1988. Why don't you tell us uh, tell us that story and how, how you came about to, to arrive at the Detroit Racecourse? Well, as you can tell by my accent, and I still don't think I have one, but people tell me I still talk too fast and sound northern. You could probably tell that I wasn't born in Kentucky, but I came as soon as I could. I've been <laughs> here over I've been here over 30 years, um, but I was born in Saginaw, Michigan, like the old Johnny Cash song. Uh, and moved to northern Michigan and Grayling in the northern lower peninsula. Now, I'm not a youper. I did not grow up in the upper peninsula. Those people might as well be in Canada, okay? Just, <laughs> they, they're Green Bay Packers fans. And where I grew up, we were loyal to the hapless Detroit Lions. So um, I got involved. Well, when, when we moved up north, we were really upset. I have a two-year younger sister. And... We didn't want to move away from our family 
or friends down in the thumb area of Michigan near Saginaw. Michigan is shaped like a mitten. So my parents bought my sister a pony and my dad built me a go-kart uh, to help, you know, make us feel better about moving up north where they get a lot of snow, by the way. And um, my go-kart broke down. My sister's pony kept going. I used, <laughs> to sneak, I used to sneak the pony out of the barn when my sister wasn't looking. And I would run that, that little pony down the, wood, the, the driveway of a neighbor's trail. And I was too big for the pony. And she was really mean, as a lot of ponies are. And I'd get her running really fast. And she would veer to the left. And I would fall off to the right and think, this is the best thing I've ever done. So I quit the Cub Scouts, got a horse, and joined the 4-H club with my sister. Started reading the Black Stallion series, fell in love with racing, tuned in to watch ABC's Wild World of Sports in February or March of 1979, where I saw the greatest horse to ever look through a bridle win the Florida Derby. Spectacular bid. And I've been hooked ever since. And uh, I started doing freelance writing for some magazines and old magazine called the backstretch magazine and spur magazine, a horse racing lifestyle magazine out in uh, Virginia. And so I, I, and, and I used to, I was a FM DJ while I was in high school at my local radio station. I'd work at McDonald's during the day on Saturday and then switch out of my burnt orange rust colored uh, polyester McDonald's uniform and go spin records from six to midnight uh, at this radio station in town. And uh, so I had some experience doing some broadcasting, some writing. And when Ladbrook bought the track, you know, Ladbrook is a big English bookmaking company. They started buying tracks in America. They bought Detroit race horse DRC in 1985. And my horse racing friends, Mike and Patty Vance, he's a trainer and uh, she helped him run his stable. They said, Hey, you ought to send your radio tapes and your magazine articles to the new PR director that they hired from Suffolk Downs in Boston. And I did. And I got a job, basically a paid internship, working summers at DRC. So I graduated from high school, 17 years old. Three days later, moved my stuff in my little gray Chevette, not to be confused with the Prince song of a, of a much better car <laughs> than, I, than I drove. And I, and I, and I lived with my... Um, my friends, Mike and Patty Vance in Detroit, helped them out with their stable on dark days and worked in the publicity department during the summer. And uh, you probably saw me on TV on the uh, the old pass network, the Pro-Am Sports Network in Detroit, which carried all Detroit sports. And they carried the DRC replay show. And I got to host it once or twice a week. And um, I, I got to see some really good horses there um like wakoit and chris mccarran came in and won the 87 michigan mile but my favorite uh horse that i got to see in detroit was without a doubt lost code i was there every step of the way it was a major coup that we got bill donovan and his wife donna to bring the horse that bill trained to detroit our general manager mike mackey was an old time race tracker who gave stalls to Bill Donovan at some leaky roof circuit racetrack tens of years ago when Bill was down on his luck and he felt like he owed Mike a favor. So he brought lost code to Michigan mile to the Michigan mile, which was really a mile and an eight. It was a $250,000 grade two race. 
you know, it was up there with kind of the like the uh, Cornhusker handicap at mm-hmm. X Arbin and Omaha and the Washington Park handicap at Arlington and the Canterbury Cup at, you know, kind of the Midwest kind of stake circuit. <clears throat> I saw Vodka Collins win it there, a, a Kentucky horse. And um, we had a lot of fun with Lost Code. He was a bad bleeder. Um, and so ha- that was back in the days where Lasix was regularly was not regularly used. It was still controversial before it's sort of universal use. And so he could only go to states where he ran on Lasix. Of course, he was a son of Codex, who won the 1980 Preakness, but should have been disqualified because he completely mugged genuine risk on the far turn. Angel <laughs> Cordero did. But that's a topic for a different day. So I got to interview Craig Perrette, jockey Craig Perrette, in the winner's circle after he won. Uh on, on in-house TV. And so the first question I asked, and by the way, lost code, broke from the gate, went wire to wire, won in a common gallop. We couldn't really get anybody good to run against him because he was such a good horse. So I asked Craig, Craig, when did you think you had the race won? And he said in his Cajun accent, well, when I got off the plane here in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days. I was... 18, 19, 20 years old, and I thought, you know, life couldn't get much better than that. But later, maybe a few years later, you wound up uh, at, uh, at at a revitalized Turfway Park. I, I'm I'm struggling with my 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 timeline here, but Jerry Carroll wound up purchasing Turfway somewhere along the line in either the late 80s or the early 90s, and he and he rebuilt the place. It was formerly known as Latonia, and I think when he took over he changed the name to turfway it may have been around the same time 86 87 is that right I, I'm... yeah he bought it in the late 80s and okay. um started turning it around re- renamed it turfway uh, i my first two years out of michigan state i followed my boss mike Mackey to thistledown spent a couple years there then i left for the maryland jockey club and i worked a year and a half at laurel and pimlico i was media relations director at pimlico for the uh, 1992 Preakness with Pine Bluff and Chris McCarron, but I hated it. I hated living on the East Coast. Um, I didn't like uh, Joe DeFrancis, the owner of the track, um, and I just uh, started looking for a new job almost immediately. It took me a year, and I, I, I met Jerry Carroll, and he hired me to work as director of communications, so I moved to Kentucky in November of 92. And I was I was really there with Jerry Carroll and track president Mark Simmendinger for the glory years of mm-hmm. the Turfway. It was, uh, it was. Yes. I mean, the Jim Beam Stakes was just killing it as as a triple crown prep. We had Lil E.T., Summer Squall, Hansel, Prairie Bayou, Serena's Song. Then we created a new event called the Kentucky Cup Day of Champions in the fall, which was a Breeders' Cup prep day, and we had Serena's Song and Thunder Gulch and Mariah Storm and Tabasco Cat um, and, you know, Baffert and Lucas and Zito and Mandela bringing horses in. We were really there for the glory years. And um, and then Jerry sold the track in 1999 to build Kentucky Speedway. And uh, I left to work at the Breeders' Cup in 1999. and, And that's why I moved to Georgetown in 2000. So I was marketing director and later vice president of event management from 99 to 07 uh, at the Breeders' Cup. And that was 
Turfway was the most fun I ever had. Working for Jerry was a lot of fun. We, you know, used to bring in celebrities uh, for the Jim Beam stakes. And, you know, Paula Abdul was there. Dean Kane, who played Superman in the old Lois and Lois mm-hmm. and Su- Lois, the new adventures of Lois and Superman. Um, and uh, he was there. And uh, we brought in Neil Sedaka to sing. And uh, I'll, John Forsyth and Linda Evans from, from Dynasty. Dynasty wow. and Falcon Crest, and we brought in Red Buttons and Milton Burrow, and it was just, it was lit. I mean, Cato Kalin was there <laughs> after the O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, it, it was, it was crazy. I you mean, glossed just, over, you glossed over Pete Rose, though. <laughs> Pete, Pete had his own special private place. I was like, Pete lived there, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> we know. Pete, Pete was a good customer. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay. But those, Alan those, wants, those were good times. Alan, why don't you uh, take it away? Or Brandon or whoever, yeah, go, whoever wants go to ahead, step Brandon. up the plate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, Damon. Uh, man, it's a great stories. And your your world travels. I mean, it's it's quite interesting. And, you know, we, the podcast, took a, uh, a road trip. It was an expense road trip on the podcast LLC up to see the Turfway Park. Uh, right before the new year uh, swung into action. I think it was December 28th. And it was our first impression of being there uh, in a long time. We've had horses run there. Uh, we've had other friends, you know, just start horses and run. Uh, but we kind of wanted to know your take. What, what do you think of the new facility that Churchill Downs has uh, built? Well, there's a lot to like, without a doubt. But there is, there's one big thing that I take issue with, but let me start with a positive. Yep. Churchill Downs saved Turfway Park by, by buying it, it from, from Hard Rock after Hard Rock bought it from Jack. Remember, it was owned by the Jack Casino, yes. which is Dan Gilbert, fellow Michigan State grad, uh, who made a lot more money in his life than I have. Um, you know, he owns the, uh, the, the Cleveland Cavs, uh, but really ran Turfway into the ground. And the, the, the racing commission kind of forced Hard Rock's hand and to sell it because they weren't really interested in horse racing. And Turfway bought it. Uh, it was sold to Churchill. And they tore the old building down. Uh, and they've spent $150 million at least. You know, they put in a new Tapita racing surface. They built five new barns. They're building, they built a new detention barn. They're, they've got a new dorm. New tote board. It's really a video board, which is kind of the trend. Updated paddock, uh, re- uh, rehab jockey's room, new winter circle, and a whole new building. And, you know, it's very nice and trendy looking. And the historical horse racing gaming hall is really nice. And now comes the one problem I have. They built, and, and, and to be fair, Turfway is a winter track. And so you need glass enclosed climate controlled, uh, like we had at the old grandstand, but they built basically a giant ballroom or convention center. And I I understand that eight months of the year, they want to have space for business meetings and conventions and weddings and concerts. Um, and, and they, they, they do section off an area as the home stretch dining room. And there's a nice suite for owners. If you've got a horse in that day, but what, what it really lacks that was in the original plans that didn't make it in the final 
product is an indoor grandstand with tiered grandstand seating. Yeah. And, and, and Senator John Schickel, who represents Boone County and Turfway Park, and I have met with the CEO and COO of Churchill Downs Incorporated, and we've expressed our opinion to them, and we've asked them if they would consider eventually after this season maybe adding on a, a typical indoor tiered grandstand with 250 or 300 seats tops. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and I don't know what you guys think, but that, it's very nice. And I'm very grateful. I hate to sound ungrateful because they're doing a really good job up there. Um, yep. And, and, you know, Turfway's purses were thir- the maidens, maiden special weights were $33,000 three years ago. They're $70,000. That's right. Uh, and that's, I've got a, I'm, I'm in the CJ Thoroughbreds partnership and we've got a Philly running Wednesday night. Uh, her name is Kiss It Goodbye. She's in the fifth race. Dale Romans is her trainer. And I'll be up there to cheer her on. And, you know, the, the money's great. The racing's getting more difficult because all the big guys are leaving divisions here to race during the winter. And that's right. what we want. I predicted when we passed HHR two years ago that we would have the most lucrative year-round circuit in the country. And we're, we're about there. Uh, we just need Ellis Park. Uh, to to up its game and Churchill's bought it as well. And I think they will probably do a good job down there too. But I just really wish that they had built an indoor grandstand and wish they would still consider it. Also, there's a little bit of problem with the finish line camera. I watch a lot of (laughs) preach. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a bad angle. It's a bad angle. And uh, you know, I'm hoping they can get that fixed and I'll, I'll, I've shared a lot. I've heard from a lot of fans and, you know, I, Senator Schickel and I try to give voice to some of the fans concerns and, and, and spread that around. It's, it's still great. I mean, it's, yes, it's terrific. It's a nice, finely appointed place. They got, you know, those big screen TVs, but when you go to the live races, you want to see the live race. And unless you've got a seat on the window it's really hard to see the whole race live. Right. Right. Well, we, you know, we graded it. We did a whole podcast devoted to it and it, you know, still got high marks, but we're with you. Uh, you know, it needs that sense of racing, uh, without having to part ways with people, uh, maybe doing something else to try to get a window spot. So we're we're right along with you. One of the questions we had, and maybe, you know, the answer, maybe you don't, that's okay. Is when, we decided to leave that big ballroom area and go into the HHR section. And then we've entered into that awesome bar. I mean, they've got what it looks like to be a sports betting bar all set up more TVs than you can ever see. They got a ticker that's running scores constantly like the stock exchange. I mean, it's got everything going on except one piece. There's no TV for the live racing at at Turfway. I couldn't tell you there was a race coming up. Unless I had my phone out, which I was doing with my phone, but I wanted to have some food, watch some UK basketball that evening, and then see, you know, a live horse race on the TV once or twice. Is that a law written somewhere that they can't show the no. live? Race? No, okay. no, not a law. Um, I've mentioned that to Chipbach, the general manager, and I, I will do that again. That is an unbelievable room. Yeah. Uh, I went up one day and, and had a Sunday brunch in there. The bar is great. The tables are great. Um, 
it's it's a great atmosphere. And yeah. if we if we ever do get sports betting legalized, obviously that's going to be where they do sports betting. But I I too wish they would uh, include horse racing live horse. They don't have to put simulcasting in there. They've got a room for simulcasting. Right. But when they're running live, they should show Turfway in there and be able to take bets. Yeah, I would just assume it would increase the handle on track, uh, you know, because then we race to finish our food and go back over to the the other area where we can watch it live and we walk to the paddock. And, you know, that that's what was so confusing that night. And I was like, man, it must be in the, the HHR bill or something that they can't show. No, live. no. Yeah. it's uh, all paramutual racing. They could they could have HHR simulcasting and live racing all in the same room if they wanted to. Well, that's a you just solved a big thing, and I'm glad yeah. you put it to the powers that be as well. And we'll continue advocating because before long, I got one. We're gonna have one racing up there. Who knows when it's gonna start? If Tommy can get this horse ready to start in the next couple of weeks. That'd be great. But are you uh, with Tommy Drury? Yeah, I got another <laughs> little partnership outside of our podcast. So we'll see. Tommy's what the man. One of one of my favorite trainers. Yeah, yeah, great guy. F- friend of the podcast for sure. Great guy. Uh, but, you know, the other question I had was, you know, we, we're doing our research and background, and obviously you touched on a little bit of Buffalo Trace, but uh, your passion for bourbon. Uh, I read something in there that you've got a label out. Is that right? Yeah, my business partner, Andre Regard, and I uh, own Kentucky Senator Spirits, which, uh, hmm. o- which owns the license marks to Kentucky Senator Bourbon. About six years ago, I stumbled across this lapsed bourbon brand called Kentucky Senator and uh, went went into business with my my friend and lawyer, Andre Regard. He handles all the legal work. I do all the marketing and branding and and we figure out the rest of it. And we we're a non-distiller producer. We source our bourbon from various distilleries, bottle it in some cases, age it longer. Like I've got bourbon aging right now in Bardstown and in Owensboro. We it's Kentucky Senator Bourbon with each release named after a U.S. Senator from Kentucky. So we've had three releases so far. We'll have a fourth one out in June and it's going really well. And uh, we're getting ready to uh, launch a major financing effort uh, to go to phase two to scale up, uh, to raise the money to be able to distill our own bourbon and, and, and try to scale up and grow the brand. But it's, you know, I I. I'm not from Kentucky. I've lived here 30 years, but I do horses, bourbon, and politics. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's not the Kentucky trifecta, I don't know what is. Yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> I'm with we, you there. I definitely agree. And uh, we'll sidebar because I can help with some of the financing and uh, equity maybe on that uh, next endeavor. So round two. Uh, that'd be fun just plug i gotta plug myself every once in a while text me text me offline we'll talk got it you got it well uh i'm gonna turn uh those are kind of the my big set of questions uh just glad to have turfway back on glad you're a fan and we're all thinking thinking the same thing and and hopefully uh maybe next season they'll, they'll institute some some better seating and get some live racing on in the sports bar it's really cool so the, 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 yeah I, i'll mention that to chip bach um that's a that's a great idea and and look if you look at what churchill downs is doing at the flagship track 
you know, new turf course. I, I know it's had some problems, but it will, it will, it will be fine. Hopefully right. this spring, they spent 10 million on that. They built an a absolutely gorgeous new home stretch lounge seating area. They're building a new 5,000 seat grandstand on the clubhouse turn. And they're yep. putting in what is going to be probably the best paddock in the world. And I've been around the world. So I think I can speak uh, with some authority there. It's going to be really nice. And I, I think what I'm saying is they're open to making changes and, and, and I'll continue to um, I'll continue to give voice to that along with my good friend, Senator John Schickel, who represents Turfway and lives up there in Boone County. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be a shareholder for life because they're not going to stop. They're going to keep getting bigger and bigger and acquiring. And, and I, I just love the accents they're doing on Kentucky racing. And so does the pod. I mean, that's why we talk about it. We bring it up. That's why we're a Kentucky-based podcast. So, Look, I know a lot of people are mad at Churchill Downs because of Arlington and Calder and Hollywood Park. Um, but my response is, as a Kentucky legislator and a Kentucky racing fan, and as somebody who participates in racehorse partnerships, it's pretty tough to complain with what they're do what Churchill Downs is doing in Kentucky. They are investing in horse racing. And yeah, you know, there are nits to pick. Um, you know, why didn't the turf course perform as well as it should have the first year out? That's a nit to pick. They'll probably fix that, I'm certain. You know, the 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 seating situation at Turfway, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but there's so many things they're doing well. And I I, I have confidence and that they are committed to racing. And it's, you know, HHR is, uh, is the driving force. And they believe in the model, and they've invested in it. Yep. Well, I'm going to pass the torch over to Alan. Yeah, I gotta, I'm glad you passed it over to me, because i got a political favor to ask you. And uh, I'm sure you don't get many of those, do you? Well, there are, no quid, there are no quid pro quos here, young man. Well, there might be for this one, because, uh, <laughs> I don't know, you'd probably be all for this one. We would like, I mean, I'm speaking for the pod here, is we need to know if maybe you could present a bill on the floor of the Senate to maybe pass a Michelle Lovell day in the state of Kentucky. Uh, we're big Michelle Lovell fans. She is a friend of ours. And we think it's what your constituents and the citizens of Kentucky want. Do you think you could get the votes to get, make that happen? I might be able to get partway there. First of all, I'm a big fan of Michelle uh, I used to participate in the one of the Brilliant Racing Partnerships. As do we. As do we. Um, I was in Brilliant Racing 2, which was Template, Steely Danza, mm-hmm. and Risky Behavior. And Michelle had Risky B, Risky Behavior, one of the greatest named horses of all time. <laughs> and I'm convinced there are not very many trainers who would have gotten her to the races. She um, She was a head case. And she took her time with her, and uh, she's got that pony that she Elwood. rides. Elwood. I think Elwood spent a lot of time coaching Risky B and got her to the races, finished second in her first start at Indiana, broke her maiden, and then she cracked her ankle in a workout at Churchill Downs and had to be retired, unfortunately. But I, there aren't very, very many trainers, I think, who would have had the patience that Michelle did. So I'm a big Michelle Lovell fan. You know, if I ever – get to put together my own racehorse partnership she would be one of the trainers i look to 
along with Tim Glyshaw and Tommy Drury. Excellent. Uh, what I what I could do, what I could do, I can't pass a bill, you know, and have a Michelle Lovell day. But what I could do is I could do a Senate citation honoring Michelle for the great year at the races she had with two different stakes winners. And, you know, the year before that, I think she was leading trainer at Colonial Downs. You know, if um, if somebody wants to put together all of Michelle's stats and get them to me, I can take it from there. All in favor, say aye, guys. Aye. 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 <laughs> we'll take care of that. That sounds awesome. Uh, she really is the best. We do, People get tired of us going on and on about her, but she's the best. And we she, believe it. So that- she, she's a terrific horsewoman, and she does really well with the stock she gets. Yes. And some of these trainers out there, like Michelle and Tim Gleishaw, uh, if, if, if they could just get, you know, owners who spend more on horses at the yearling sales, they could, they would really just absolutely kill it. I think. I agree. I got another question for you. That's kind of pseudo horse racing related. Uh, Cause when we put this podcast out, we'll have a picture of you and I'm afraid people are going to get you confused with Bill Mott. Do you ever get that? Oh my gosh. You're not going to believe this, but it happens to me all the time. <laughs> you got a doppelganger vibe going on there, brother. Yeah, it just started this year. So um, I think it's because of two things. Number one, my my <laughs> hair is getting grayer, um, but I, I'm I'm not cutting it as short as I used to. And I get so people come up to me at the races all the time. And they're like, Bill Mott. I'm like, sorry, I, I wish I had his bankroll. I wish I had his horses. But <laughs> I, wish I'm, I, had I'm not, <laughs> I wish I had Olympiad who, you know, would have been a contender for horse of the year if it weren't for flight line um you know between him and life is good uh <laughs> i get it all the time i i i've had it happen at keeneland uh i've had people i had it happen at churchill downs a couple times and somebody sent me a picture there and I, I changed glasses too and my glasses are are more like his so i'm like oh, okay well if, if, if there's somebody that i got to be a doppelganger with bill mott's fine by me yeah, you mentioned and you mentioned Flightline. What do you is Flightline the best horse you've ever seen? I don't think you have that strong an opinion about old Flightline, do you? As other people do. How do you feel about Flightline? I think Flightline is one of the best horses of the Breeders' Cup era. Right up there with horses like Ghost Sapper, Sunday Silence, Ali Sheba, Cigar. Yeah, I think he's one of the best horses of the Breeders' Cup era. But I'm not I'm not gonna say He's one of the greatest horses of all time. And it's hard for me because Terry Finley is a friend of mine. Um, Kip Cornett, who was in on the Woodford racing piece, uh, you know, was, was in on flight line. I, I know and respect Bill Farish used to work for him at the Breeders' Cup when he was chairman. Uh, and obviously, flight line is a brilliant horse. He is a fast horse. Um, but I just can't say that a horse who only ran six times is one of the greatest of all time, unless he won the triple crown, like justify did. But I still don't, I mean, I, any horse that wins the triple crown, you have to say he's one of the greatest of all time. And I, I love justify. I wish he would have, you know, continued to run, but he had, I think an ankle problem. He, he is an asterisk because he won the triple crown. Yeah. And you know, you, you might rank him in the top 20 or 30, 
but I would, you know, I would rank American Farrell higher than justified because he was a champion as a two-year-old and beat older horses, for example. I think you have to look at accomplishments. I think you have to look at the body of work. And for me, Flightline is not on my list of greatest horses of all time, but he certainly is one of the greatest and maybe the greatest horse of the Breeders' Cup era. How about that? I can see that I can really feel the politician in you coming out there. That's a great answer. You managed to to ride that line, but still make a firm opinion known right there. I like that. (laughs) I mean, mean, this isn't my first rodeo, guys. No, I can tell. But but, but it, it chapped me. When people started comparing Flightline to my favorite horse, Spectacular Bid, Seattle Slough, Secretary at Man of War. I mean, come on, man. He ran six times. Yes. And I mean, yes. Is he a great horse? Yes. But I just you you just can't rank him up there with those all time greats. With a one-year span, he had no setbacks. He just that one-year span. I completely get he, that point. He ran three times last year. Three times. You're right. You're exactly right. And plus, he beat your doppelganger source in the Breeders' Cup Classic, right? <laughs> I was on Taba there because Mike Smith is my buddy, and uh, I always root for Mike. Um, I do. I will make a prediction. A year from now, we'll be talking about Taba being the favorite for Horse of the Year. You sound like Cece over here with that table of, I oh. get it. I get it. <laughs> well, first of, first of all, everybody else is retired. Cyberknife is retiring after the Pegasus. Epicenter got hurt and is retired. Early voting is retired. Mo Donegal is retired. Um, Olympiad is retired. Flightline is retired. Um, Rich Strike, I think, probably has another grade one win in him. But the circumstances have to be perfect. He's right. he's my he's my early line favorite to win the Stephen Foster, for example. I can see, he gets a pace. He just needs a pace. He needs a pace. He needs the right setup. Uh, I think Taba is a, is going to be a really good horse, and I think he you know if he has you know, I, Mike told me that Bob's going to point him for the Saudi Cup, maybe Dubai. Then you would think he'd probably bring him back, rest him up, and maybe. Pointing him for the Whitney if if he's allowed to run at Naira. I don't know what, what Bob Baffert's situation there, but probably the Pacific Classic, maybe the Awesome again, and then the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. If you get that future wager down right, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, you said you could, a couple more questions. We'll let you go. We really appreciate your time, by the way, Damon. I mean, you know, you're racing. This is this isn't just some guy that uh, that uh, came down from Michigan and just. Uh, Weasel is way into politics here, the horse racing. You really know your stuff. We were talking to you off air, and this is pretty impressive. You've got a bit of an encyclopedia to you. Uh, but because you did come down from Michigan, and you are a politician in Kentucky, when Michigan State and Kentucky play each other in basketball, how does that is that political suicide for you? Do you have to <laughs> do you have to play that balance that line there? Do you openly root against Kentucky? Because it happened this year in, in an overtime game. How does that work for you? And I will remind you that Sparty won that day. I like Sparty. I'm a big fan of his <laughs> on those guys. But I just wonder how that plays down there in central Kentucky. That's a good question, and it's a fair question. And, look, I'm a very loyal guy. If you if you talk to any of my friends or family, they'll, they'll say he's a loyal guy. I'm loyal to people who deserve and earn my loyalty. I'm loyal to the principles of my party espoused by Ronald Reagan. Um, and, you know, I'm, and I'm loyal to horses and jockeys and sports teams that I love. And 
I'm a graduate of Michigan State, so I'm loyal to my team. And so what I tell people is my favorite teams in order are Michigan State, Kentucky, and who's ever playing those people from Ann Arbor whose name I don't like to say out loud. Go TCU, right? <laughs> Go TCU. That was awesome. Yes, it was. That was a pretty impressive game. <laughs> and so, um, but so I, I rooted for Sparty against the Wildcats, but I rooted for the Cats against the people from Ann Arbor. Uh, that's right. Good. Again, a great political answer. I'm, I'm and I have, I have season tickets. I have season tickets. I'm, uh, I'm going to the Georgia game. I'm going to the Texas A&M game, and I'm going to the Florida game. And maybe to the Auburn game. I go to one or two football games a year. Uh, I've worked with Dr. Capaluto and helped pass the bill that allowed for the bonding, that allowed for the expansions and improvements to Kroger Field. Um, you know, work with UK all the time on post-secondary ed funding uh, and policy issues. And you know, I, I, I'm a fan. I want UK to to do well. I want all of our universities to do well. Um, my son went to NKU. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of my regional university because my district does go up all the way up to Independence in Kenton County. And your district also is uh, where I work at, right? Scott County, uh, you uh, you represent where I work down in Toyota. You know Toyota pretty well, right? I do. I, I, I live five minutes from the plant in the Cherry Blossom neighborhood. Which is um, ironic because I live 75 minutes from the plant, but continue on. <laughs> Well, you, you know, there's something like people from 70 different counties work at Toyota at the plant. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I live five minutes from the plant. I've, I've worked with, you know, I've been in the legislature 20 years. I'm the third longest serving member of the Senate right now. I'm the longest serving Republican majority floor leader, 10 years of doing that. Uh, and, you know, doing things that benefit Toyota has been a big part of my my wheelhouse for 20 years. I mean, that new exit at 127, Correct. I got the money in the budget to pay for that. I've, help get incentives to bring the Lexus uh, to, to, uh, to Toyota um, at Toyota's in urging. I got the money to finish the uh, VCTC advanced manufacturing center over there by country boy to help, you know, train people to work at the plant. I mean, it's got 10,000 employees and like a hundred different suppliers around central Kentucky plus team members from 70 counties. It's uh, we're lucky to have it in Kentucky and, Blessed to have it here in Georgetown, and I appreciate you know you being a longtime loyal team member over there. I, you know, I know it's a great place to work, and and uh, I've always had a great relationship with with the team over there. Yeah, my time's about up there, but I appreciate the kind words. I'm sure the company does too. All right, last question, maybe some of the most important stuff that we could probably touch on. You talked about being a DJ earlier, and you're from Michigan, right? So you like you're like me. We got this in common. Music is a bit in your soul, right? Classic music, classic rock music. Uh, is that correct? That is correct. So let's talk about a, one Michigan guy in particular, Bob Seger. All right? Oh, man. He is, he's one of the best. What is your favorite Bob Seger song? Let's see if you're right. I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway here. My favorite Bob Seger song. There are so many. And you know, he's a fellow Michigan native exactly. like me. Uh, he summers in northern Michigan near where I grew up. Uh, so does Kid Rock, by the way. That's right. Um, my favorite Bob Seger song. Uh, it's it's going to be something a little more obscure. Um, let me go here to my Bob Seger playlist. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, it's Fire Fire Lake. Great song. Fire Lake. And do you know why it's my favorite? Because you live by Fire Lake? I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fictitious lake. Uh, the, the the song is metaphorical, but the Eagles, my favorite band of all time, three of the four Eagles are singing backup on Fire Lake. As a matter of fact, Glenn Fry, who was a very good friend of Bob Seeger's, uh, tried to get Bob to let the Eagles record Fire Lake. Uh, and he wouldn't let them, but they did agree to sing backup. So if you listen to Fire Lake and you hear the vocals in the background, that's the Eagles' three-part harmony. I think it was Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and I think Timothy B. Schmidt, but it could be Joe Walsh, one, one of those two. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the classic rock music from the late 70s, early 80s. The Eagles, Bob Seger, Fleetwood Mac, Billy Joel, um, the Doobie Brothers, Ario Speedwagon. Sticks. Oh man, yeah. Man. I've, you know, a quick, quick thing. When we, when uh, the senator and I were texting today, uh, he sent me a, a, a list of puns with the Eagles songs in them, and that's a man after my own heart. If anybody knows me, I do the same thing. So I'm big on the music puns, brother. You've, you've got another vote coming next year simply because of that. <laughs> uh, I like stringing together. You know, some of my favorite artists, classic songs into a, a punny little paragraph. And uh, I don't do I, that, I, do I, CC? I don't I don't do that at all, do I? No, I don't think I've ever heard you do that. In fact, that's <laughs> crazy. Talk. So the last two Christmases, uh, I've taken my kids uh, and along with my kids this year, my girlfriend to St. Croix to spend the week between Christmas and New Year's. And two years in a row, uh, I've sung karaoke with my kids in the Caribbean and I do hotel California, take it easy already gone by the Eagles and piano man by Billy Joel. I don't do any of them well, but it is really freaking funny. I bet it is. You're welcome to uh, hum a few bars right now. If you like, you're welcome. To. <laughs> I'm not going to subject your listeners to that. <laughs> well, that actually take me to my last question of the day. You're just about karaoke. You're just talking about Billy Joel. My karaoke go-to song is We Didn't Start the Fire. Kid, do you know all the words to We Didn't Start the Fire? I've done karaoke to that. Um, I've seen look go- at the screen? No, I couldn't do all the words. I couldn't. It's, it, but if you can, that's, that's a really treat because it's a lot of stuff to remember in a history lesson. A little tidbit for you because I've seen Billy in concert four or five times. Uh, and He's great. Two or three t- he's great. And he... He starts off his encore, which is a seven song encore. And, you know, Billy's knees are shot, which is why he spends most of the time behind the piano now. But during the encore, he lumbers up to the middle of the stage, straps on a guitar and just belts out. We didn't start the fire. And it is amazing. I'm, I'm actually trying to get tickets to go see him in Nashville with Stevie Nicks uh, in oh, May wow. or, or in Columbus in August. Stevie Nicks is touring. You know, Billy does his monthly shows at Madison Square Garden, and then he'll do five or six, five or six stadium shows uh, a year. I saw him at um, Great American Ballpark two years ago. And um, so he's doing half a dozen with Stevie Nicks, which is pretty epic. Yeah, Can't is wait epic. to see it. That is epic. That is amazing. I hope you get to go. I hope I get to go because I've seen about everybody. I've seen Billy Joe. He's fantastic. He'll rip into some back in black. When I saw him, he ripped into back in black. ACDs. He, he still yeah, does that. I've seen him do that, and then he has one of his um, one of his musicians in his band sing opera for a song or two. That's awesome. I love that stuff. 
All right, Senator, we th- this has been fantastic. We cannot tell you how honored we are that you were on. This has been enjoyable. You're a man of know a lot of topics about a lot of things, particularly horse racing. We're lucky to have you in the state of Kentucky. And again, I, as for Brandon and Cece, welcome out sentiments. We really do appreciate you coming on today. I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll always be straight with you. You may not agree with my opinion, but you'll know exactly where I stand. That's how I've survived 20 years in Kentucky politics. And I'm happy to come on your show anytime to talk horses, bourbon, politics, classic rock music, uh, or comic book movies. Those are the only things I really know anything about. Uh, you know what? I think you just hit my encyclopedia. So we, I may have to do a separate podcast with just you. How's that? <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Anytime, brother. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Senator. All right. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. That was Senator Damon Thayer, State Senator Damon Thayer of the uh, Kentucky Legislature. That was a fun conversation. I specifically enjoyed uh, the banter about Lost Code. That's one of my favorite horses of all time. If you ever get a chance, go back and watch the 1987 Haskell Invitational. It was Lost Code and Ali Sheba and Bet Twice. And uh, I was a I was a big Lost Code fan. He got beat. But he, he ran his heart out. That was uh, that was fun times to be a horse racing fan back in the late 80s. You know, uh, Damon being a um, a native, is it Michiganer? I don't know what they what you call themselves up there. Mich- but Michiganer. Mich- Michiganer. Michiganer. Um, he comes down to Kentucky. You know, we, we all kind of know the story a little bit. Comes down to Kentucky, kicks the homebreds out, and gets into the, the politics and knows more about horse racing than most people down here uh, do. I I knew he knew his stuff about racing, but I didn't know he was that encyclopedic. That's pretty impressive. And of uh, course, you know, you know, yeah, I, it's, it's a game to fall easy in love with. I understand that. Wow. I had totally, I knew that he was involved with Turfway, but I had totally forgotten about it. You know, he's been in kind of in the, in the lexicon of Kentucky politics for so long. I had totally forgotten. He had a, had a horse racing background. In Turfway's heyday. Again, the nineties, when, when you hear me go on about Turfway, I, I'm 52 years old. I remember when Turfway got simulcast wagering, and it, it really it really turned them around. And then the 90s, it really hit their heyday. And that's about the time the polytrack came. Was the polytrack shortly thereafter? I can't remember. But the 90s was, was a big time at Turfway. And, and the renaissance has started to happen somewhat. And for those of us who kind of called it, we get a little satisfaction on it. But Damon, uh, Senator Thayer was there when uh, during that heyday. And I particularly like the fact that he wants to get uh, Michelle a citation and the classic rock love personally, but that's just me. I think Keeneland bought Turfway from Jerry Carroll, maybe. Sounds right. I, I can't remember. It seems like, but Keeneland introduced Polytrack prior to uh, introducing it at its own track. It was kind of like a precursor. Right. Maybe like uh, mid 2000, something like that. Gotcha. But yeah, that was fun. We'll have uh, if the senator wants to come back, which I believe he does, we'd be glad to have him back. It's quite an honor. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, he he was recanting stories of Turfway. I, I remember. I don't know why it popped in. It was I don't know why it popped in my brain, but it was about this time. I think uh, my dad and his partners had a horse named Agastaki back. Oh, around, I remember. Uh, I remember your horse. Yeah, 2007, 2008, 2009. Anyway, he ran. They claimed him. Uh, for fifty thousand, I think it was in November, and they raced him at Turfway in an allowance race. Now, I remember this. He w- it was a sixteen thousand dollar purse, and I think he went off like even money, six to five, and and they won. 
and I picked up about uh, gosh, oh no, it was it was more than a sixteen thousand dollar purse. It was like a thirty thousand dollar purse for an allowance race, and uh, the winner's share was sixteen thousand uh, dollars. And of course, Rick Howell's trained the horse. And, and next morning, my dad got a call from Rick. He said, "Man, we got a problem. This horse isn't nominated to the KTDF. Mm. He was he was a Kentucky bred, but whoever bred him, I think it was Nelson Bunker Hunt that Forgot. bred the horse." and uh did not uh nominate him to as a Kentucky to the KTDF so they missed out on an eight thousand dollar purse it was a sixteen thousand dollar purse total and, and they, and they got, eight. Give it, got eight thousand instead yeah. that 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 was a bad day chunk of change on the, big chunk of change on the heels of a good day you know yeah. but that horse that horse went on to make a lot of money later on he, he was a he was a good old boy but uh, yeah weird weird some of the memories that pop up in your brain randomly of course, yes. Well, at my age, it happens all the time. And you lose those memories as well, too. Real easy, too. But I won't remember yeah. this. This is a lot of fun. I will remember this. All right. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. I'm watching Georgia crush TCU. I'm not really interested in this game anymore. Go dogs. Uh, by the time anybody's listening to this, they're going to uh, – this is going to be a, a distant memory in itself. So uh, anything else no. that you'd like to add? We'll we'll be back strong later this week. Next week, hell, we don't know. Yeah, we'll figure something out. So, all right. So, er, hope everybody has a good week. On behalf, of course, our guest, Senator Damon Thayer, and Brandon Jaggers, and of course, Alan Schneider, CC brought us, reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home. <laughs>